morning, everyone. Welcome. If you can just come in and make yourself settled. We're going to have a traditional two minutes silence in a minute or so. So if everyone can just try and get in and get a seat. That'd be great. We meet in the presence of God. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith for reconciliation between the nations that all people may together live in freedom, justice and peace. We pray for all who in bereavement, disability and pain continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been given and taken away. So please stand as we observe two minutes silence. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. The reading is Exodus chapter 19, reading from the ESV. If you don't have your Bible, then the words are printed on the inside of the church diary for today. So Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. 
And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down, and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Well, we spent the next part of our service looking at these words of Scripture. Um, we we, we um, haven't simply chosen this chapter because we think it's the most relevant one for today. Um, we've been working through this book of Exodus, and we want to, as best we can, work through all of the chapters, all of the verses, to hear what God is saying. We have a conviction here that all of God's Word is always relevant all the time. And so, what is God saying to us through these pages of Scripture. Let me pray for us as we come to some of these difficult things in this chapter. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to these pages, uh, what we need more than anything is for You to enlighten us. We need to hear Your voice speaking to us. We thank You that You have given us Your Word. We confess, Lord, we are often slow to understand it and resistant even to the bits we do understand. So help us. Help us to hear you and to respond to you in worship. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, it's very important 
to know the difference between what is wild and what is tame. There are lots of animals that if you persevere for long enough, you can tame them. This can be done with birds, um, squirrels, mice, and I'm told even some bigger animals that I don't have any first-hand experience. And what is the mark that an animal has been tamed? Well, it's that the animal is now approachable. You can get right up to it. You can even touch it. But there are some animals that are untamable. Doesn't matter what you do, how long you do it for, the animal will not change. To my knowledge, no one has ever tamed a great white shark. And to my understanding, you'd be a fool to try. And yet, for most of us, we have made a pretty good go of taming God. Go into many, dare I say, most churches today, and you will be met with a God who is eager to help, who is waiting in great hope that you will pay attention to him, who is like a kind granddad who may even be referred to as the man upstairs. And what you choose to do with him is up to you, but he would just be delighted if you stopped by to say hello once in a while. God has been tamed, so we think. And yet, in this chapter of Scripture that Janet read for us, we're presented with a very different picture, aren't we? In Exodus chapter 19, we are shown God coming near to His people. It's, it's a significant moment in the storyline of the Bible. At the start of this book, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. God raised up and sent Moses to have them released God struck the country with blow after miraculous blow to break the stubbornness of Pharaoh the king, who eventually let the people go. God brought his people through the Red Sea, delivered them safe on the other side with their old slave masters drowned behind them. They were free at last, but they had a new identity that they had to learn because all of their lives they had only ever known enslavement. Now they needed to learn how to be free, how to be God's people. And that is why God brings them here to this place. God first met with Moses on Mount Sinai. You can read that back in chapter 3. And he told Moses that he was going to lead the people back to this mountain so that they would worship him. Well, it's now two and a half months since they set out from Egypt, and they've made it. And they're setting up camp at Mount Sinai. They're going to stay here for 10 or 11 months. The next 59 chapters of the Bible are based here at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is where a new life, a, a new chapter in the life of Israel begins. God will appear to them and speak to them. Through Moses, they receive an invitation to meet God. And it's an invitation that comes in three stages. I don't know if you noticed this as it was being read, but Moses, who is in his 80s, he has to make three climbs up the mountain in this chapter. And before they're finished camping here, he'll do four more. 
But in each of those three trips up the mountain to speak with God, God issues instructions to prepare the people to meet with Him. What are the requirements if they're going to take up this invitation to meet with God? Well, Moses' first climb up the hill, which starts verse 3, goes down to verse 8, give or take, um, is, is where he hears a very encouraging message from God. Notice what Moses has to go back and tell the people, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Simply, God is reminding them of what he has done for them. He's defeated their enemies, he's provided for all their needs, and he's brought them to meet him. And there's more. Look at verse 5. He tells them what he's going to do for them. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are wonderful things for God to say. He also says in verse 5 that all of the earth is his possession, and yet he says of this people here, you shall be my treasured possession. Well, if God owns everything, if he possesses everything, what does it mean for them to be his treasured possession? Well, we actually know what that means. I mean, think of your own house. You own everything that's in there, but if there's a fire and you can only take one or two things with you, what do you take? What do you reach for? You reached for your treasured possessions. Yeah, you own it all, but these are the treasured possessions. And even if we keep that image, God here is saying, you are the people I would run back into the burning building to retrieve more than anything else. And this vision here of God's people will be a kingdom of priests. It speaks of a people who have access to God, a people who serve in the presence of God, a people who will represent God to others. And in having these privileges, they would be a holy nation, a set-apart nation, and that inevitably follows. They are a distinct nation unlike any other because they have these great privileges. Well, so far, so good. Very encouraging. This is some invitation that's being extended to these Israelites. But if they're going to take up the invitation, there's something they must have. And it comes in between those two things, what God has done and what God will do. There was a little bit in the middle that I missed out. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. This first part of God's invitation to, to meet him, he says, you, you, you will need the right posture. You will need the right posture. And the posture that's needed to meet with God is one of grateful submission to him. Listening to him, doing what he tells them to do, the next number of chapters are God giving his people the law Submitting to God is the required posture for taking up his invitation. They're to hear his words that are going to come to him and submit to them. Now, this is something that is often 
misunderstood or maybe mischaracterized. So I do want to pause over this for just a moment. Because it's very easy, isn't it, in our individualistic world to hear these kind of words and think of them as, as, as oppressive. They sound anything but liberating. I thought they had been brought out of slavery into freedom, and yet here we're seeing that they've got to be submissive. But actually, these are truly liberating words. First of all, notice that God has already made these Israelites his people. He isn't saying to them, if you do these things, then you can be my people. That's already been done. God rescued them out of Egypt. God brought them through the Red Sea. God brought them on eagle's wings to this mountain. And now, having already made them his people, having already acted based on simply his desire to keep his promise to their ancestors, he's brought them and he's not presenting any system to them whereby they can earn something. He's simply saying, you are my people. And to be my people, this is what it will look like. This is what they are to do now as God's people, not to become God's people. Um, A fish lives in a very restricted environment, right? It's in the water, and it never comes out of the water, not for more than a couple of seconds anyway. And doesn't it seem a shame not to let the fish loose? I mean, if it wants to, why shouldn't we allow the fish to have true freedom and live on the land? Well, you know how that experiment ends, right? We understand that the fish is designed to most fully be a fish when it's in the water. And for human beings, we were made by God, made to know God, made to submit to God. This is the environment we were made to live in. And these are the only conditions in which human beings are most fully human, when we obey God's voice. The posture presented to the Israelites here in this invitation is actually, it's it's utterly logical. What else could be an appropriate posture for a creature to have towards its Creator? Do this, says God, and you will know what it is to be God's treasured possession. You will know what it is to have access to God as part of a kingdom of priests. You will be a distinctive nation. But these were privileges that were not fully realized by Israel. Even before they had left Sinai, some of these things were already in tatters. They would not be a kingdom of priests. Only a select tribe of them would be. But that that project that God lays out here has not been abandoned. Because God has made himself a new people. And he's done so through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. God lifts men and women out of slavery to sin through Jesus' sinless death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And all who come to him believing are brought into a position of amazing privilege. This is how the Apostle Peter would speak about Christians. He says in 1 Peter 2, But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter takes this language from Exodus 19 and he applies it to Christians. He says, you are this chosen people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this treasured possession of God. Through Jesus, you have come into these privileges. This is what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. And the posture of the Christian then is to be one of grateful submission to God. We're not trying to earn something from God. He's already done all of that for us in Jesus. But to honor Him, to know that the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction in the human life is when we live in submission to our loving Creator and Savior. That's the environment we were made to thrive in. And only through faith in Jesus are we given the resources to do that. Well, Moses goes down the mountain and he reports back these terms of the invitation to meet with God. And in verse 8, the RSVP is immediate. All that the Lord has commanded, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. A wise response. But there's more they need to understand about God. And Moses makes another trip up Mount Sinai, where the next part of God's invitation comes. And God indicates that his plan, verse 9, is to come near to the people of Israel in a thick cloud so that the people will hear him speak. And in hearing him speak with Moses, they will have confidence to listen to Moses forever. But for the Israelites to experience this, they need to have the right posture and they need to be fully devoted they need to be fully devoted. Well, they're going to meet God. I mean, you plan to meet anybody who's of even just a slightly higher status than you. You you put some preparation in, right? Well, that's what needs to happen here. Verse 10, today and tomorrow, be ready for the third day when God will appear. They've got two days to prepare. What do they need to do? Well, they're told they need to be consecrated, um, which is really just another way of saying what I've already said, fully devoted, given specifically, entirely to God. And included in that is the washing of their clothes. And I think the idea behind this is that they are to wash their clothes so that they have clean clothes ready for the third day. They need to be cleansed to meet God. And these two days of preparation are to be days of real focus and focus on one thing. God is coming on the third day. Even in those two days, verse 15, they're to abstain from marital relations so they can focus and prepare for this momentous appearing of God. They need to have the right posture they need to be fully devoted. This is how to truly meet with God. And yet, we do so readily settle for so much 
less. We're often so preoccupied with the little toys of this world that we can fool ourselves into thinking that they hold the keys to joy and fullness of life. And if that's where we are, then we have become numbed to the reality of what it means to know the Lord. Because if we understand who it is we belong to, and all that He's done for us, and all that He's promised, then what else can we do than give our all to honor Him, to be part of this holy, this distinctive people that God has rescued from sin? And yet for us as Christians today, so much energy goes into not appearing to be different. The things we give our time and energy to are pretty much the same as anyone else. And too easily we're missing something, that we have been saved from slavery to sin to live lives devoted to the Lord. And so, what does that mean for Christians? Well, it means, Christian, get baptized, openly declare your faith in Jesus. It means be part of a local church and serve your brothers and sisters there and honor the Lord in everything else that He gives you to do, whether that's raising your kids or in your workplace or in how you use your time. It's interesting that the detail of the third day is mentioned four times in this chapter. It's, it's uh, repeated to emphasize it. And it's, it's one of those details in the Bible that on its own, it's just a detail. But it's one of these details that pops up repeatedly throughout. So here is one. Another one is that the promise that Israel, having, having fallen into ruin, will be raised up on the third day. The prophet Hosea speaks of that. More famously, perhaps, the prophet Jonah, who sank to the place of death in the belly of the fish. He was there for three days and three nights before being spat out of his grave onto dry land again. And it's these scatterings of this detail throughout Scripture that actually prepare for the most significant third day event of all. When the apostle summarized the Christian message, when the apostle Paul summarized the Christian message, he could distill it down to this. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. You know, there's no specific prophecy in the Bible about Jesus rising on the third day, but Paul still sees that that rising on the third day happened according to the Scriptures according to this pattern of God's intervention. And just as God appears on the third day to establish a covenant with His people, so the Lord Jesus Christ appears, raised from the dead, on the third day, to declare His victory over death and to seal them into a new covenant. Anyway, there's one more hike up the mountain for Moses. 
And it provides the third and final part of God's invitation. I remember in secondary school, there was a a pupil who was very involved in playing football for the school. And um, it meant that he spent a lot of time with one of the PE teachers, and he got to know the teacher quite well. But he made the fateful mistake one day of assuming he could refer to the teacher by his first name. And all it took was just a simple, thanks, Jack, for the teacher to say, son, never forget who you're talking to. And that's the gist of this final part of God's invitation. You need the right posture. You must be fully devoted. But you must never forget who God is. You must never forget who God is. Here we see the third day has come, verse 16, the morning of the third day. And uh, I don't know how we put ourselves in this scene to really get a grasp of what it's like. The mountain is trembling, verse 18. The people in the camp are trembling. Thick cloud has descended upon the mountain, and it's accompanied with crashes of thunder and lightning. Smoke rises up from the mountain like there's a furnace there. And there's this sound of a blasting trumpet. Verse 19, it just grows louder and louder. Can you imagine? It's just this cacophony of noise. It's terrifying. It's a troubling scene, actually. The sense is that the the earth, the very fabric of the earth is being shaken. Everything is disturbed as God descends in all of His glory and comes near. And Moses is called up to the mountain because there is a very real danger here. And the very real danger is God Himself. Earlier in verse 12, Moses was told to put a fence around the mountain just to stop anybody or anything coming close to the mountain. And if anyone had dared to touch the mountain, they were to be put to death. And here God says that Moses must warn the people again to not think that they can come up the mountain just to have a peek at God. I mean, that's what he says in verse 21, that no one would break through to look, because if they do that, they will die. That is the most dangerous thing they could do, because this holiness of God will break out against them. Twice that said verse 22, verse 24, and it is to remind God's people of the essential incompatibility between God and human beings, and they must never forget it. Here they're being brought into the most privileged position to know God, but you must never forget it's knowing God, this God the one who is of purer eyes than even to look upon evil, 
the one who is light and in him is no darkness at all, the one who dwells in glory with the echoes of angels around him, always exclaiming, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And for him to come down to earth in his glory, well, no wonder the place shakes. No wonder the noise is unbearable. God has come to His people so that He might speak to them. And even when He speaks, how does He speak to Moses? He spoke to Moses in thunder. And God, as He comes down, He comes down to give them the law. You know, the next chapter is the Ten Commandments. It will be for God to specifically lay out how they will accept His invitation. But listen to what it says after God has spoken those words in chapter 20. This is from verse 18. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. And they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. You think they got it? You think they got it? God is no tameable beast. God is no object of mere fascination. You don't play games with God. God is the most dangerous thing in these verses. But friends... The invitation that you and I receive to come to God is not an invitation to come to this mountain. It's not an invitation to go to Mount Sinai. Not an invitation to come to this unbearable scene. God invites us to a different mountain. And the New Testament specifically tells us this. If you were to read the book of Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews is, is it's often described as a letter, but it's more like a, a sermon. It reflects on, on much of the Old Testament and how it's fulfilled in Christ. And this scene is one of the things that's reflected on in Hebrews 12. Let me read this for you. Writing to Christians, he says, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, Christian, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, 
The invitation that comes to us today is an invitation to come to God's dwelling place in heaven. This scene is so terrible in Exodus 19 because what we find is that where the holiness of God meets the sinfulness of man, there is an unbearably oppressive tension. But the call that comes to us today is to come to a different scene, to God's dwelling place in heaven. He offers to raise us up to Him. But the only way that He could do that is by Him coming down to us, not in fire on a mountain, but coming down to us as a man. And in Jesus Christ bearing the penalty that our sin deserves, it needs to be taken out of the way. How could we ever be brought to God's dwelling place? Well, here's the only way, by coming through Jesus Christ, by coming united to Jesus Christ, all of the incompatibility removed because He's borne our sins away. The writer to the Hebrews finishes that part of his message by saying, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God has not changed, but praise God, He changes us so that we might come to Him, dwell with Him, enjoy communion and fellowship with Him through His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so this invitation to meet God comes to you. And thankfully, when that message comes to us to say to obey all that He commands, well, we can say, yes, Lord, Jesus has done that for me. Jesus has done that for me. And you need never face that Mount Sinai scene of terror. But know God in peace and in joy and in sweet relationship through His Son. Take that invitation to meet with God today. Come to Jesus in faith. Amen.